ninjas, calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Today on Lime Ninja Radio. It, it goes back to the whole idea, Louis Pasteur with the bug theory versus Antoine Bouchamp, the French guy that said, it's not the bug that makes you sick, it's the terrain. And even on Louis Pasteur's deathbed, he admitted, yeah, you're right, Bouchamp, it's not the bug, it's actually the terrain. So if we think about, okay, it's, it's actually the terrain, that means it's our body, it's our environment in the body. If the body is healthy, if the body is functioning optimally, I don't believe it matters if you have a bad bacteria or a bad virus, you should be able to overcome that with your immune system. But when there's traumas, emotional, chemical traumas, you get bombarded by uh, a moldy environment, you walk through a retail store and get bombarded by the fragrance thing, you get a bad phone call from your uh, you know, kid that they got in a car accident or you're going through a divorce or a loved one passes away. I mean, these are all stressors that then knock down that environment's health that then allow whatever's inside of you to thrive. This podcast is sponsored by the Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. I'm so excited to tell you about our new Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. One of the things I hear over and over again, whether it's talking to a patient in my office or consulting over the phone with a client, is just how difficult it is to keep track of progress on their Lyme journey. Recording symptoms daily or even weekly gives them too many data points. There are so many ups and downs, twists and turns that at some point they get lost and confused. The Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker takes all the guesswork out of tracking symptoms with a simple monthly questionnaire. Once a month is the perfect interval to see if that new supplement or protocol is working. Right now, when you take the Symptom Tracker questionnaire, we give you a simple composite score for the month. But we have big plans and the data you enter will not be lost as we roll out new features. Best of all, it's free. Just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker and sign up. That's LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker. You'll be glad you did. Join us every Thursday on iTunes for the latest episode of Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, I'm your Lime Journey Guide, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 230 with Lime expert Jay Davidson. And if you're up in Augusta, Maine, tomorrow, Friday, April 26th, April 26th, please come up and say hello. We have a booth there. Aurora will be manning that all day. Yes. And I'll be up and down on stage as the MC and also doing a presentation first thing in the morning. So come say hello if you're up there. And speaking of Aurora, hello, Aurora. <laughs> hello. Uh, in this episode, you'll learn three main things. Why prepping before starting antibiotics will help you get healthy faster. Why you're more likely to have a relapse after something bad happens. And why you should take time to take care of your body's drainage systems. That's so important. <laughs> we all need drains. Thanks, Aurora. And a big shout out to all you longtime Lime Ninjas. You're the reason we have more than half a million downloads. Aurora and I really appreciate you tuning in. And we'd also like to welcome all you new listeners out there. Welcome to Lime Ninja Radio. You're now officially a Lime Ninja. Shout out to the Bailiwick of Jersey and welcome everybody. Wait, 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 wait. What's the Bailiwick of Jersey? It is an island. Is that island... like a police on the New Jersey Turnpike? Ha, ha, ha. It's... It's an island off of the coast of Normandy. 
And oh, cool. We I've have a new- never seen. We had a new country, and I just well, it not, made my day when country, I saw it. It's a bailiwick. It's a bailiwick. Yes. I wonder who. Th- anyway, do they have their own flag? Yes, they do. Well, then they're a country. <laughs> exactly. Welcome, Jersey. As you know, Lyme disease is an international problem. Each week we have listeners join you from all over the world. And this past week we've had listeners tune in from Canada to Colombia and from the United Kingdom to the United Arab Emirates. Okay, Rora, tell us a little bit more about this week's guest, Jay Davidson. Dr. Jay is a chiropractor and a holistic health coach who focuses on functional natural medicine. In his quest to cure his wife from Lyme disease, he developed a protocol which he then turned into two books, Five Steps to Restoring Health Protocol and How to Fix Lyme Disease, Three Secrets to Improve Any Lyme Disease Treatment. Now, Dad, why did you want to talk to him. Well, first of all, Dr. Davidson is massive in the Lyme world. He has produced the Lyme Summits, and I'm sure most of you have tuned into some of those free videos. They're just awesome. So it's just an amazing accomplishment on his part. It takes a lot of work, effort, and commitment to put those things on. And also, what he brings to the table is really important on our Lyme Journey Roadmap. And he emphasizes the whole detoxification thing and how parasites can stop that cold in its tracks. Particularly in this episode, we're going to talk about a specific treatment with coffee. Who doesn't love coffee? I know a few of you don't, but most of us love our coffee. Except it's using it in a unique and novel way. And I just gave it away for those of you who know and have been in the Lyme world. But some of you will be surprised. So you'll have to listen to find out exactly what that is. So. Part of the Lyme journey is preparing for treatment. If your drainage systems, if your detoxification systems, your liver and the drainage from the liver aren't working, you can't do any treatment. So you really have to make sure this is working up front. And if you've gone through most of your treatments and you're still not feeling good, and maybe it's time to take another look at this as well. So this is really important kind of pre-treatment for Lyme and other infections, and also post-treatment. So this is a really, really important episode. And with that said, here's our interview with Dr. Jay Davidson. Hello, Dr. Jay. This is McKay Rippey from Lyme Ninja Radio. Thank you for having me on, McKay. It's great to be here. It is awesome to have you you're doing so much in the Lyme community and want to make sure that everybody in my audience knows about you and what you're doing and the great work you've done. And like so many people, your introduction to Lyme disease was the hard way and in a very personal way. And will you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I feel like this is so common in this world. Um, you know, very rare. I, I don't know if I've ever met somebody where you know, they wake up and it's like, oh, I, I think I'm going to learn more about Lyme or I think I'm going to specialize in Lyme. It it seems as if, and, and clearly uh, your podcast is Lyme Ninja, which I love the word ninja, by the way. But, um, you know, in this world, as you get in touch with more and more people, it does feel like everybody that's part of it has been personally affected, which just shows the magnitude of how big this quote unquote condition disease actually is. But I got into it uh, because of my wife. 
My wife uh, was diagnosed with Lyme disease when she was seven years old. She's currently 36, almost going to be 37, so about 30 years ago. And she got sick. She was a healthy kid, apparently, up until seven years old, as her mom says. Got sick, and they gave her some medications. The next thing you know, she had brain swelling, brain encephalitis, and she went into a coma. And in that process, her mom's like, I'm hearing about this thing called Lyme disease. Can you check for that? No, no, I don't think it is. Finally, the doctors checked. I would imagine they probably ran a Western blot back in the day. Um, that came up positive, and then the, that started the IV antibiotics, and then on her health issues continued. Um, she had a couple heart surgeries when she just went to college. When she was 18 years old, um, she had super ventricular tachycardia where her heart would just take off ra- racing, boom, you know for no, no reason. Uh, so they went in and did a couple ablations where essentially they, um, take a little spot in your leg, go up into the vein and and ride up the the vein to get to the heart and essentially, you know, zap a node to try to slow it down. First one quote, quote unquote, didn't take second one quote unquote did, but then, uh, actually some heart things started showing up later on as well too, which we can talk about. But, um, that was kind of her journey. And then I met her after that, and she just wanted to get by. She was sick of being the guinea pig, sick of being experimented on. Like she just wanted to live a normal life. She didn't want to talk about what she had been through. Uh, most of her friends and pretty much all all of her friends didn't really truly understand what she had went through because um, she didn't want to be excluded. You know, she wanted to be included um, in in the community, in her her friendships, her relationships. So there was a lot of I would say quietness, but then when you really got to know her, she would open up about it, but was very hesitant. And, um, time went on health issues kind of spurred from having mold in my apartment when we had met and that kind of triggered a whole nother episode. Uh, we moved into a brand new townhome. We went to chiropractic school and doing, you know, 25 to 32 credits a trimester. So it was pretty much full time, eight to five school. And then you would study outside and it was a brand new townhome with brand new you know, off-gassing VOCs and and all those uh, nice uh, off-gassing toxins from aldehyde, and then kind of crashed again. Um, not not heavy, but definitely a, a crash. We figured out that she had heavy metal toxicity. Ran into issues there. Uh, tried DMSA, tried DMPS, and then just kind of hit a brick wall and was like, okay, well maybe we just can't get rid of these heavy metals. And life went on. We did a lot of healthy things just to kind of maintain, if you will. But um, with all the signs and symptoms that happened, anxiety a couple years before my daughter was born, my wife stopped flying an airplane, which she had been used to before. Um, You know, just things kind of kept creeping up. And then when my daughter was born, uh, long labor, 25 hours natural. And I'm pretty sure she kind of detached from her body with the pain. And I think that really hindered her for recovering. You know, she kind of like if you will, emotionally detached. And from there, the bottom fell out and she just couldn't recover. And um, that's when she had her second near-death experience, you know, one when she was seven years old and another one when she uh, was 30 years old with my daughter being born. And that that shifted everything. Uh, we ran a corrective chiropractic office up until that time and then everything went into that. And um, I guess a blessing was I have a very um, intense personality when I'm either all in or all out. And on this one, obviously I was all in let's save my wife. And then that kind of shifted our whole life. And fast forward, my daughter and wife are healthy. My daughter hasn't had anything that we know of other than the dentist uh, had made a comment, not knowing anything about my wife's past history, just saying that, oh, it looks like 
uh, my daughter's Leela. Uh, looks like Leela uh, maybe got like a you know high fever or uh, some type of maybe infection when she was really young or maybe mom was while pregnant so the teeth aren't fully formed, the baby teeth. But other than that, we haven't seen you know any ill effects with my daughter and my wife today, um, knock on wood, is the healthiest she's ever been and, and want to obviously uh, continue you know, continue that path that we're on. So here's an unfair question. <laughs> Let's start out with an, the second question being unfair. And that's, what's your opinion about being cured from Lyme? I'm agnostic myself. It's like, well, I'm not sure. But is your wife cured or is she just on top of it? Great question. I feel like it's not a most people have this question in the Lyme world, but I feel like it's not a great question um, because I don't think that's really the goal. When you go around and test people, most people, you'll be able to detect Lyme, whether you energetic test, whether you run some more advanced testing, maybe the Lyme connect or the DNA connections, Lyme urine panel. Maybe you run, um, you know, a little bit more advanced blood work than the traditional. Uh, maybe you do energetic type machine testing, uh, or live blood cell microscopy. You take a little prick of the blood and see some spirochetes in the bloodstream. A lot of people are going to come up with it. And I don't know if the goal is to completely eradicate it because we are bacteria. We are virus. We are, um, you know, we have these critters inside of us that in the newest research is we're a one-to-one ratio of bacteria to human cells. So, and that's on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not not our biome, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's 10 to 1. Well, no, I mean, the newer research shows that really the biome is, it, compared to how much micro, like the bacteria in our body total, mm-hmm. uh, that is closer to a 1 to 1. The 10 to 1 is definitely the thing that gets thrown around by everybody, but the yeah. more recent research I've seen okay. uh, really points to kind of a 1 to 1 ratio. But still, I mean, we, we have a ton of bugs yes. in us. Right. Now, let me back up. So at the time when my daughter was born, we ran the iSpot Lyme test by Pharmacin Labs. It's a subsidiary of neuroscience based in Wisconsin. The Pharmacin Labs iSpot Lyme is no longer available. Um, at the time, it was great. And it would show you, it would give you a number. So um, under 25 was, um, well, I should say under 17 was negative. 17 to 25 would be equivocal, like not really sure. And then over 25 would be positive. Well, if you get up higher around that especially 60, 70, 80s number. My, my wife, when we ran it after she crashed, she was, uh, I believe, in the mid-80s, which was kind of like a knife to the chest. Like, oh, no, still Lyme affected. But what that showed, was it was in acute mode. So while it could definitely have been chronic that she could have carried this for 30 years or at the time, 25, you know, roughly when my daughter was born, it showed that Lyme activated. And these critters love to activate when there's trauma. Uh, that's why a lot of uh, moms, after they give birth, they have reproductive issues down uh, where they gave labor because that tissue gets stressed out. The tr- tissue is traumatized. Once it's traumatized, the immune system isn't as highly functional there, and those critters kind of gravitate toward that area. So, any areas of surgeries, any areas of trauma, you know, these bugs, if you will, uh, like to go there because the immune system isn't going to be as optimal as it is in other places. So, um, fast forward here, ran a test, came up acute. Went through a lot of emotional turmoil with that. Of course, we realized, okay, high mercury, high lead. She had had 
previously clearly we didn't detox it so heavy metals had to be an issue as well too and we were kind of at that time like okay it's got to be lime and it's got to be heavy metals and that's when the course changed because that's when really dove deep in and a year later we ran a follow-up eye spot when it was still available by pharmacy labs and it not only came up as a negative but it was actually a zero so according to that test you would say well not present at all but i mean i don't i don't believe any test is 100%. Um, I did like the iSpot when it was accurate at the time, but uh, obviously that lab ran into some issues later on, um, you know, a few years later, and and that is no longer available. So could, could she be completely cured or gone of Lyme? Potentially based on that test, but I don't know if that's really the focus. You know, the focus is if it, it goes back to the whole idea, Louis Pasteur with the bug theory, versus Antoine Bouchamp, the French guy that said, it's not the bug that makes you sick, it's the terrain. And even on Louis Pasteur's deathbed, he admitted, yeah, you're right, Bouchamp, it's not the bug, it's actually the terrain. So if we think about, okay, it's it's actually the terrain, that means it's our body, it's our environment in the body. If the body is healthy, if the body is functioning optimally, I don't believe it matters if you have a bad bacteria or a bad virus, you should be able to overcome that with your immune system. But when there's traumas, emotional, chemical traumas, you get bombarded by uh, a moldy environment, you walk through a retail store and get bombarded by the fragrance thing, you get a bad phone call from your uh, you know, kid that they got in a car accident or you're going through a divorce or a loved one passes away. I mean, these are all stressors that then knock down that environment's health that then allow whatever's inside of you to thrive. So I'm not fully sure if you can fully get rid of it, but I also don't know if that's the most important thing. It's kind of like in the parasite world, is the goal to eliminate every single parasite species in your body? No. And I feel like that's the same with bacteria and viruses as well. That reminds me, about 15 years ago or so, maybe it's 20, who knows, the, the years run together, right? The man who discovered H. pylori had written an article and basically was saying, you know, we're doing all this great job getting rid of H. pylori and so all the, the stomach ulcers are being eliminated. But what we've done is now eliminated one of our natural kind of uh, stomach acid modulators. And so people are now having all this GERD issues. And he was saying, you know, we might want to reintroduce <laughs> a little bit of H. pylori back into the system. He's like, if you go into the third world countries where they still have H. pylori abundantly in the environment, they don't have GERD, but they have some ulcers from time to time. We've eliminated ulcers because we give people drugs for that, but we've got all this more serious GERD and, and then cancer issues. So this whole idea of being strong and healthy and living with what's in your environment. Now, the other crazy thing, uh, Dr. Davidson, is that we travel, right? Where where did your wife grow up? Uh, she grew up in Madison, Wisconsin. Okay. And where did you meet her? Were you in school? Oh, you were school out there, right? Yeah, uh, college, uh, University of Wisconsin, La Crosse. Yeah, so okay. just a couple so, hours away from where she grew up. So she wasn't too far away. But one of the things that happens is as we're growing up, we take on the bacteria, the virus that are in our community, 
right, in our environment, let's say, and maybe we adjust them, maybe our immune system learns them, maybe the allergens too, and then, but then we may move around a dozen times. And it's just strike me with what you're talking about, that that's another stressor too, is adjusting to a new place, a new set of uh, environmental stressors or b- bacteria in the environment. Or I mean, we're on well water here where I'm in central New York, and we test positive for you know, E. coli, a little bit of E. coli in there, but our family's fine. You know, we had to bleach the well, unfortunately, when um when we had to apply for a second mortgage. But it's just, there's a, you know, there's a trace amount there and nobody gets sick off of it. We've all adjusted to it. So it's just, it's an interesting concept. I like that idea. I mean, that's my prejudice anyway. My background is as an acupuncturist, that if the terrain, if we're healthy, we should be in harmony with our environment. Now, there are times where there's something just really virulent that comes around, right? The flu bug gets our immune, we have a strong immune system, our immune system, quote unquote, overreacts to it. And that can be dangerous. And we have to live through that crisis. And that's a whole nother thing. But in general, the day-to-day stuff, and Lyme has been around forever, right? Thousands and thousands of years. Now, in Looking at your wife's crisis and dealing with that and taking your background as a chiropractor and learning new stuff, you wrote a book about your experience there. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, it was a little selfish at the time because I felt like I just had so much gathered research-wise and kind of spread all over the place, papers everywhere, you know, just that like really messy desk, which was like my wife would not want to be around my desk because it was... You know, she likes cleanliness and things picked up. I like the idea of it too, but I just get distracted sometimes. And uh, I just kind of did a brain dump and it turned into a book. Um, I wrote it uh, within just a couple months, just kind of gathering all the stuff I'd gathered for a long time and and just using the protocols I had used at the time, uh, working with clients and just kind of brain dumped it in. And so the first book I wrote, wrote, it was called Five Steps to Restoring Health Protocol. Um, Definitely a thick one. Uh, I think still some good information in there for sure. Lots of research. I think three to 400 references, you know, within the few hundred, probably 300 pages, I believe it is now. Um, but yeah, that was wrote, I think I wrote that maybe three and a half years ago, roughly. Uh, and then my last book, or my second book, uh, which was the last one I wrote, is How to Fix Lyme Disease. That one I feel is is definitely uh, a good one to start with. If, if somebody's a reader or there's audiobook too, I, I read it audio wise. So if you want to jump on audible, it, that should be on there too. Um, but it's shorter. My wife's like, you know, <laughs> she's talking to me. She's like a lot of people with Lyme disease, Jake, uh, they have brain fog. And when you say something, they don't really hear it. They have to hear things multiple times. Kind of the reason McKay, right? These podcasts are so great. Cause you just get to kind of download and grab what you can grab and what you can remember. You can remember. And she's like, keep it to 80 pages. I'm like, okay, sounds good. And so I went a little over it. I think it's about 120 pages, but I try to get right to the point. And um, I got a bunch of research in there about Lyme spreading through, you know, uh, spiders and mosquitoes and how rodents carry it and things. I mean, try to compact it down to a small amount. But um, yeah, it's, it's great that those are available, but it's amazing in the clinical world how things grow and change so quickly just based on what's working. And I feel like the critter, you know, if we talk specifically about Borrelia, uh, Borgdorferi, the bacteria, I mean, it, it will modify, it'll morph. So what worked probably 20 years ago, um, is that still going to work today in the same manner? 
probably not based on the fact that there's more toxins out there, based on the fact that our stressors are different, the electronic age that we live in, EMFs, uh, EMR, electromagnetic radiation, which we know electromagnetic radiation actually uh, messes up blood sugar. If you mess up blood sugar, you're triggering mTOR, which then is going to minimize autophagy. If you minimize autophagy, then you're not going to get good pathogen immune system stimulation. So the world we live in now versus even just 20 years ago is, is different. Um, so I think we just have to continue to uh, advance and, and obviously things are being created naturally as well too and understanding better combinations of things. So it's an exciting time to live in. Uh, and if you are struggling with your health, there's hope. Absolutely. This is like the greatest time of information that's out there, the greatest amount of tools that's out there. Uh, doesn't mean that there's not going to be work, but kind of going back to what you had said, McKay, about this idea of adapting to your environment, I believe that that is the big piece of true health. That is true health is the ability to adapt to your environment. The day you stop adapting is the day that you're going the wrong direction. And when we eat the exact same thing, when we do the exact same stuff, uh, we're basically programming our body. Okay, this is all you need to do. This is it. But when you're exposed to different things, different stressors and different uh, timing of eating, the foods you eat, I mean, just the different types of food, that right there makes your body adapt. The better you adapt, the less likely you're ever going to get knocked down by this massive chronic infection like Lyme disease or something else because the body's ready. You know, it's ready for this, um, if you will, change and it's going to respond. One idea I'm tossing around myself these days is something I'm calling immune flexibility. Does that resonate with you in any way? I love that verbiage. Haven't heard it. Love it though. Think about, um, pregnancy. Uh, when somebody's pregnant, when a female's pregnant right away, they're TH1 dominant for usually the first two thirds of the pregnancy. Last third switches to TH2 dominance. Then after the birth, it goes back to TH1. What that is, and that's why a lot of women end up with autoimmune conditions, either during pregnancy or post pregnancy, because your immune system is kind of flip-flopping based on baby development and what the body needs to do. But that lack of ability to flip-flop and kind of come back into equilibrium I believe is then what, you know, you could say lack of flexibility in the immune system, then you're going to get stuck on one side or the other. And with the TH1 and TH2, I've recently kind of smacked me upside the head. I hadn't heard this before, but the macrophage differentiation too between M1 and M2 macrophages, and it's essentially along the same lines. Are you familiar with that at all? Well, yeah, my good my good friend and and uh, co-founder, uh, Dr. Todd Watts, is really big in the TH1, TH2, specifically in the presence of parasites. So one of the missing links that I believe with Lyme disease is a parasitic infection or, you know, multiple different species of parasites. He basically says that when you have parasites, it messes the immune system up and it makes the immune system dominant in one of the TH1 one TH2 sides basically, and essentially allows for viral replication to happen very quickly. Exactly. And, and, and so if somebody has what, which, you know, some popular viruses, especially, uh, EBV, for instance, with the Lyme space, if you're battling EBV and you haven't parasite cleansed, the chance of you getting on top of that viral infection is very limited with the fact that the parasites are messing the immune system up and really creating autoimmunity. And the interesting thing is we know that certain viruses live inside of parasites. Dr. Alan McDonald, who's done a lot for the Lyme disease world and space researcher, he's shown that 
um, Borrelia burgdorferi, Lyme disease itself, can actually live inside of nematodes, which is a type of parasite. So if we go herbal or we go prescription antibiotic or we do a combination and the only goal is to annihilate this bacteria, Borrelia burgdorferi, but it's hiding inside of a parasite, it's trying to punch through a concrete wall with your fists not realizing, oh, maybe I got to chip away at the concrete wall, hence the parasites, which will then unlock this little bug behind it, and then the body can overcome. Yeah, it's fascinating. I, I'm with you both on this, and I'm very late to the party, and I'm kind of surprised that it just never crossed my radar before. But even within co-infections as well, you, it seems the little bit of research I've seen that the the Borrelia, when it's not protected, when it's out and you know, first being infected, tilts the body toward the M2 side of things after after a while, which then downregulates the Th1, the M the M1 side of things. So the viruses then come up, and we we see this over and over again. And the other thing, so the the viral things also line up with Babesia with an intracellular infection. So you've got, you've got infections coming along that are on the opposite ends of the immune response that need different things. And if the body can't move back and forth freely between the two, one is going to get a, a leg up. Like you said, within the parasites, so the parasites are going to you know, begin to take over and cause problems within themselves and hide the Borrelia and keep it alive and well not alive but ready to to take on take off when when stress happens when the rest of the immune system goes down so i i think this the lime is that's why it's been such a sticky wicket it it is kind of what harwood says it's a multiple systemic thing but it's a multiple infection thing and it's maybe an infection on multiple levels you know we tend to get focused in on on one level we're looking at all the viruses or all the bacteria something like that but then we forget about the larger infections we can have whether it's a nematode or or worm or something in the gut or something in our brain and you're i'm just very excited to hear that and learn from from uh, you folks about this more because it's going to help so many patients i think so many of the chronic people that you and I see, well, in our, in our offices and talk to have this issue where they've got these multiple infections and their immune system stuck in one area. And the other thing that's interesting about this stuck thing, it can get stuck locally, right? Your joint, you know, that's why your joint swells up and maybe that stays swelled up for a long time is it's stuck in the M1 on the inflammatory side of things. So you can have different stuckness. It doesn't have to be the systemic global thing. It can be, right? When you've got meningitis type things and you're in a coma, that's clearly systemic. But it can also be small. You know, you can have an M2. I think some of these lumps that we see in patients' fingers and things like that, that's the M2. I had a patient who... Uh, came in, her knee was swollen, you know, clearly kind of early Lyme stuff, even though it had been a few months since she'd been bitten. And then all of a sudden her knee went down, but there's this tiny little hard lump left behind. And a couple months ago, I was scratching my head, you know, what what's that about? Well, that's just the transition from M1, TH1 to M2, TH2. And there's a little you know, fibrosis thing left behind because that's what those macrophages do. Yeah, it's, it's putting all the pieces together. I was speaking with... Uh, Dr. Alan Lindsley last week. Uh, do you know who he is? He's in the Lyme. He, he's probably the best kept secret in Lyme disease. He'd be yeah. a great person to 
for the podcast, but I'm writing it down right now. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Dr. Alan Lindsley, he's in the trenches. He's in central Wisconsin, uh, like Bloomer, Wisconsin, kind of out in the middle of nowhere, essentially. But he's he's treated over five thousand Lyme disease cases. He's uh, checked over twenty five thousand different people. I mean, the guy is just you know you won't hear of him because he he's, he's just too busy working. <laughs> he's busy working in the trenches, you know. And we we were talking about this idea about uh, Bartonella, which is a common, you know, co-infection of Lyme disease. And, and I had said, I had a, I have a client who Bartonella is coming up real strong and it's interesting because she's done a lot of stuff and was in a moldy environment, thought she was good, found out the environment is still moldy. And he, and, and kind of all of a sudden his light, his eyes perked up. He's like, I just recently had that too. He's like, I bet. And, and this is just what we're theorizing. I didn't want to hear what you you say, and uh, if you've heard anything in this as well, but this idea that it it's very tough to get through Bartonella if there's mold. That's for some reason it seems like mold protects Bartonella, or Bartonella is attracted by the mold and makes it more resistant. Of course, we know mold suppresses the immune system, but I just wanted to get your your take on it. I wish I had something specific for you, but with my current excitement about the differentiation differentiation with the immune system. I, I, I would begin to look there. We, we get so excited with the antigen thing. It's like, okay, the innate, the innate immune system, you know, it kind of does its job for the first, whatever, a couple hours, couple days. And then the, you know, the antigens and the specific immune system comes in. And then we, we, we d- dismiss, we forget the innate immune system, but the innate immune system has a day job as well, right? It's going around cleaning up dead cells, old, old cells. You're talking about mTOR and autophagy without the immune system at that level, we just collect old cells and we would just rust in a couple years instead of staying old. I mean, staying young and healthy for, for a very long time. And then it's still active when the other aspects of the immune system are active. So I, th- I think we just need a much more sophisticated and nuanced understanding of how the body moves back together. And we get so excited about, you know, different cytokines and different uh, antigens, and, and we try to trace it and make it very simplistic, right? But it's much more of a cloud. You know, it's a whole stream of stuff. And there mo- there's never just one trigger for an immune response. It's a whole systemic you know, some things are down-regulating, some things are up-regulating, some, some things are creating inflammation, some things aren't. And it's, even with their understanding of Th1 and Th2, it's not just, like you said, you can have an autoimmune inflammatory issue on the Th2 side of things, which is supposed to be the inf- anti-inflammatory side of things. Like, they, it all can create inflammation in the right tissue at the right time. And so I think what these, this awareness is like, we're just beginning to get the idea, and I think it started with with the, the, the interest in the gut biome, and that we do like ex- exactly what you said earlier. We're carrying around all these things within us. It's a one to one ratio. So it's not the old model and old. We're talking only like ten years ago, and some people are still in this model that we have to kill everything. Right? We're supposed to be this this pure chalice that has nothing but human cells in it. But that's just not the case. Yeah, it's. It's a great mindset to believe that you don't know it all and that you're open to continue to learn. I think that's so important in the, you know, natural health, functional medicine type world that uh, what what we believe we know now, we're going to probably 
fast forward five or 10 years and look back and like, Oh, I can't, can't believe we didn't understand that little piece to it. Um, and that's, what's exciting though. You know, that's, what's exciting is that, you know, if you've hit a wall or if you hit a, hit a uh, big hurdle that you haven't got over yet, um, keep moving forward. Cause we're, we're going to continue to understand how to get the body healthier. Where, how do you handle diving in deep, focusing on like a specific pathway or specific interaction deep in the biochemistry and then zooming back out and remembering, well, first of all, it's happening in a specific tissue in the body. It's not just an isolated chemical reaction, specific cells, specific tissues, but then there's a person attached to it. What, how, how do you manage that with when you're working with people? Uh, great question. Um, I usually try to keep the, you know, 30,000 30, square, uh, 30,000 foot view with most cases. It's, it's so easy to get really into the minutiae. You know, you learn about MTHFR, you learn about uh, mitochondria, you learn about this or that pathway. And, and then you kind of get lost and forget the big picture that, well, is that client, are they sleeping seven, eight hours and are they getting good quality sleep? Are they hydrating enough? Are they actually monitoring their stress levels emotionally when, you know, oh, let's just load them up with, uh, you know, drugs or load them up with supplements and, and that's going to fix everything. Are we really looking at diet, uh, the food you put in your body, you know, all of it plays a role. Um, I guess as a, you know, from a coaching standpoint, I don't really coach anybody anymore. My team does, but, uh, just through the years I've identified, it's more important to figure out what is that pink elephant in the room for that individual or that 800 pound gorilla point that out and really go after that. That sometimes it's, it is the fact that the diet is horrible. I would say with most clients that I worked with over the years, it's not, I mean, diet's usually one of those things you change right away and kind of get fanatical about and then forget for, um, you know, really focus on that and miss the other pieces. So I always, I always take this big view of looking at the order that if we can understand the proper order that anybody can get well. And then that when you listen to podcasts like this, you listen to, you know, YouTube videos or summits or docu series or read books that once you understand the order of proper healing and how to map out that order, then as you're getting these nuggets, you can start deposit them in the right folders. You're like, Oh, that's a great for that. That's great for that. Because what I see so often is a lot of, people, individuals bounce around like, Oh, I'm going to try that protocol. Oh, I'm going to try this protocol. And then everything that they've kind of were doing gets pushed off to the side and let's try this, you know, let's put this grocery bag of supplements away and let's try these new grocery bags of supplements. And I feel like there's not one quick fix or there's not one solution for everybody, but it's putting the pieces together in the right order. So the order I would say is understand what's the upstream sources. So we're talking about Lyme disease. Usually there's other co-infections. Usually there's other forms of bacteria. There's going to be parasites typically. There's going to be viruses. Uh, you want to look at the environment and look at mold. Um, also want to make sure that the, you know, you're not in an apartment or a house that's right next to a cell phone tower that's blasting 30 different Wi-Fi routers that that's not, you know, sitting right by your head. Um, you know, there's many things, but I would really boil it down to top four things that we've got chronic infection, which Lyme and viruses would be in that and bacteria. I've got parasite, chronic parasite infection. I like to separate that out, uh, mold and then toxicity and toxicity is just creating such, uh, 
inflammatory acidic type environment in the body that allows these bugs to thrive and in toxins we're looking at heavy metals looking at pesticides specifically glyphosate um, which just i mean lawsuits are rolling out as we speak um, research is coming out more and more about it damaging i just saw something yesterday that it damages the reproductive system proven in science and of course if you post that you're getting censored on facebook because they don't want to share that because uh, obviously probably where the money is coming from so there's a lot of things that we're starting to learn but toxicity we're looking at heavy metals we're looking at pesticides we're also looking at radiation and so if instead of focusing just on oh i have lyme what about everything else? And usually the thing that, oh, well, I haven't thought about that or haven't done anything with that, that's typically a good place to start as far as the pink elephant in the room or the 800-pound gorilla. You speak about order, and I'm on board 100% with that. And people you know, parachuted into Lyme disease, right? Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what? I think I'll go get bit by a tick. And with many severe illnesses, there is a roadmap waiting for you. You may not like the roadmap, for example, a cancer diagnosis. You might not like the options. You might not like the treatments, but they've got the social support for you. They've got the home visits for you. They've got the radiation. They know what kind of cancer they're going to figure out that we're going to do this type of treatment and then follow it up. And here's the diet we want you to do. And here's the counseling that you're going to need. You get parachuted into Lyme world and none of that exists. And you're so right that people struggle. And I, I think people make the mistake of latching onto a specific protocol, thinking that's going to be their entire Lyme journey rather than exactly what you're saying. Put it in a folder. Okay. Here's this is this protocol is step four in my Lyme journey. And if that doesn't work out, I've got, you know, a backup plan here and some other things to look at. And, can you expand a little bit more on the steps that you see in moving through a chronic illness like this? Absolutely. So first step is detect. Understand what are the source or sources of your health issues. Mold, heavy metals, uh, other toxins, parasites, other chronic infections, maybe besides just Lyme disease. Looking at diet and also emotional stress, emotional traumas. Uh, I would say it kind of boils down to those six things, but of course you can expand out into cavitations, having amalgam fillings in your mouth, uh, being in an electromagnetic, uh, highly electromagnetic radiation type environment, a lot of EMRs, EMFs, uh, you know, so there's many factors to it, but the main things understand what are you up against? Uh, and if you can't rule things out, I'd rather just assume that they're part of the process so you don't skip over them. So once you understand, okay, Here's what I've got going on. Now we can actually lay the roadmap out. So let's assume that everything's an issue. The first step is we got to get some uh, drainage. We got to open up the drainage pathways. And that's essentially, it's different than detox. Detox is, you know, taking something and it's going in to grab onto a chemical to pull it out of the body. Drainage is just the normal pathways that move fluids, move stuff in the body, such as the colon, going number two. Uh, the liver bile duct, probably one of the most important areas, I believe. Um, definitely one of my favorite areas to talk on. Kidneys is a drainage pathway. Skin, sweating. My wife didn't sweat for a few years before 
my uh, daughter was born and before the crash, which should have been, again, another warning sign. It was like, oh, oh this is so cool. You don't even need deodorant because you don't sweat. You don't stink. It's like, but that's it's a whole pathway clogged up, you know. Um, lymphatic system, the brain connecting to the lymph or what they call the glymphatic system. So opening up drainage pathway. And if there's two things to get from this is make sure you're pooping. Uh, I mean, typical person needs to go at least one to two times a day for health challenges though. That's when I would always err on the side of a little bit more two to three times a day, not watery stools, not diarrhea, but want to make sure that you're pooping. It's the base of the drainage pathway. If that's clogged, everything else gets clogged up uh, and it makes it very tough. Uh, the next step is to focus with the liver bile duct. The liver bile duct is uh, really the lifeline. The liver is the lifeline of the detox, uh, how it processes toxins through phase one and two. The question then is, well, what's it do with those byproducts or with those toxins after it's done with them and it dumps it into the bile. But if the bile's not flowing because you've had too much glyphosate exposure, glyphosate will shunt the production of bile secretion and bile flow. If you are estrogen dominant, that will clog, clog the bile duct system up. Uh, then these toxins backflow into the blood system and, and go systemic throughout the body. So we want the, the liver to dump it into the bile. In order for it to dump in the bile, we got to make sure the bile is moving. It's flowing. Toxins will clog it up. Um, like I said, hormones being disrupted, like estrogen will clog it up. Uh, toxicity exposure will clog it up and pathogens. Um, uh, the category of pathogens that's most prevalent with clogging it up is parasites. So there's roundworms that have been shown to climb from your GI to climb into the, the bile duct system and clog it up. Strongyloides, uh, which is a very prevalent parasite. Uh, if you have any sinus issues, it's probably not Marcon's. It's probably strongyloides that's up there. It's more of a parasite that's usually in the sinuses that causes chronic sinus issues. We've got liver flukes, giardia. Many things can be in that liver bile duct, but if the bile is not flowing, then the stomach acid is not going to be enough in the body. That's going to be a gateway to causing issues. That's going to cause GI distress. And also you're not going to be able to clear toxins out. So getting movement in the, in the bowels, just making sure you're pooping two to three times a day when you're looking for health restoration and making sure you open up that liver bile duct. Those are some of the keys. And then as you've progressed through the drainage and drainage should come along with you for the journey. Because as soon as you start to kill things off, as soon as you try to detox and pull chemicals out of the body, if those drainage pathways are clogged up, boom, herxine. Herxheimer has got its name in the Lyme space. Well, herxine, either you're taking the wrong stuff, you're going too aggressive, or simply you just don't have enough drainage. So if you support drainage, you'll minimize typically the herxine. The next step after drainage, and again, drainage is coming along with the journey, is parasites. Mold spores will live inside of parasites. Bacteria will live inside of parasites, such as Lyme disease, like Dr. Alan McDonald found, uh, Borrelia inside of nematodes. Certain viruses will live inside of parasites. Just the fact that parasites are there will then create, uh, like we talked about, the immune system to be really messed up, essentially, and allow viruses to replicate. And then the other thing is parasites are sponges for heavy metals. And that's really the reason why there's a parasitic epidemic right now is because of the toxicity epidemic. The toxins are creating an environment that will allow parasites to thrive in the body. Parasites will will basically soak up the heavy metals and the body's like, hey, thanks. Except now we've got parasites that have heavy metals inside of them that are in the body. The parasites are then producing toxins that are reacting to, creating a lot of food sensitivities, allergies, skin issues, um, teeth grinding, you know, all kinds of 
things within the body. So in order to clear mold, in order to detox heavy metals, in order to get rid of viruses and bacteria, parasites have to be first. They're kind of that mother cell. Then as you knock down the parasites that allow you to really detox chemicals out of the body, because as parasites die, heavy metals will be released. You got to mop those up. Uh, hopefully most of those chemicals will flush out with the debris of the parasites. However, it's really important to be on something to grab on to the heavy metals when you're detoxing or when you're killing the parasites. And so we've got drainage, parasites, detoxification, and then the last step, I would put the viruses and bacteria, which would be Lyme. So Lyme gets all the attention, but I would say that's really the last step in the journey because heavy metals will protect Lyme through the biofilm. Parasites will protect Lyme by essentially Lyme being inside of parasites. And if you don't have drainage, you're just going to feel horrible and stop your protocol and say, this doesn't work. Thank you for that. I think that is such an important understanding of what's going on there and why you just can't randomly choose, okay, this is going to be my next killing protocol, whatever that is, whether it's UV light or, or herbals or antibiotics that you really need to understand your terrain. You need to understand how it works. It's like you can't harvest your tomatoes after you put the seeds in. You got to wait and do all the work in between. So thank you for laying that out. Now, in terms of number two and moving things along, you're a big fan of the coffee enema. Yes. Yeah. How yeah, come? A, <laughs> it helps. I mean, when somebody hasn't done it, of course, it's an uncomfortable topic to talk about, right? You're going to put a tube up your butt uh, and you're going to put coffee in, in your butt. Like that. How does that make any sense? But you put the tube six inches in your hemorrhoidal veins which uh, most people have heard of hemorrhoids, your hemorrhoidal veins dump into a, a, a vein called the hepatic portal vein. And all you got to know is once you put coffee in your rear, in your rectum, that gets absorbed right into the venous system that goes directly to the liver. And its impact on the liver, traditional coffee enemas will uh, help support phase two and three of the liver. There's things that we can add to the coffee enema solution to energize it and really focus with phase one, two, and three kind of up, up to Annie, if you will. But the coffee goes to the liver, uh, produces glutathione or makes the, the liver, you know, increase glutathione S-transferase, which is part of phase two detoxification of the liver. It also increases the liver to make more bile and move the bile. So just think of drainage as its motion. Motion is life. It's like exercise. Stagnation, not good. Stagnation, uh, inflammation thrives. Uh, stagnation, pathogens thrive toxins can just hang around. So we want to create movement or motion in the body. And coffee enemas are an amazing tool with that. Some people say, well, it's going to you know, disrupt the microbiome. Well, most of the bacteria that are in the colon are actually in the first two thirds of the colon. And the coffee enema is technically only going in the um, you know, back third, not even quite all the way into the back third. So directly, not so much. The benefit though of coffee enemas is that it affects the GI way upstream, the liver bile duct, that then can really start to create some movement. So I found, yes, uncomfortable if you haven't done it yet, but once you do it a few times and feel the change, people get hooked. They're like, oh my gosh, I feel so much better. I feel like I actually have some energy. I'm not so achy, mainly because that there is supporting the drainage pathway. So it's not a full flush out. You're not 
cleaning out, you see some of the people with the uh, colonics and things like that, where they're really getting up there and trying to remove, you know, every bit of mucus and anything else they can get their quote unquote hands on to flush out. It's, it's a completely different thing. Yes. Yep. Yeah. The, the coffee enema, I mean, if you think about the GI tract, you swallow food, it goes down the esophagus, goes into the stomach. Once that stomach reaches a low enough pH, it'll release food into the small intestine. The small intestine is long. They should really call it the long intestine. It's like 20 feet. The large intestine, they should call the short intestine. That, if you do a colonic, it's just touching the short intestine. You're not touching the small intestine. Parasites love the small intestine. They love the liver bile duct. So when you do a colonic, it's very, I mean, you can see some critters in there at times, but you're not going to clear them out Be simply because you're not touching the liver bile duct, you're not touching the small intestine. The coffee enema is one of those things that helps create a lot of movement, liver bile duct and the small intestine. And then tag teaming that with some antiparasitic herbs and things is a great one-two punch to really focus on a effective parasite cleanse. Okay. So here's a really dumb question. Why can't you just drink your coffee? Coffee is processed differently orally than absorbed rectally. So if somebody that has issues with coffee orally, uh, typically, they don't have any issues rectally because it's just processed different. So instead of it trying to get absorbed bloodstream and, and whatnot and then sent, you know, the co- the caffeine sent to the liver and the stimulating phase one with this, the cytochrome P450 genes and things, uh, essentially, when you absorb coffee uh, rectally, it goes right to the liver and increases phase two uh, and also phase three. So it very just just different in nature. But it's a, it's actually a great question. So really, I mean, we, we think about this too. There, there are times where you're taking an, an herb, let's say, you, you know, you put oregano in your uh, spaghetti sauce, right? That's a food, right? It has some medicinal benefits at that point, but it's basically a food. You start taking oregano capsules, oregano oil, all of a sudden the concentration of it in delivery is totally different. So you get a different effect. So this is, this is coffee as a medicine, as an herb and not coffee as a, as a, as a food. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it you is, say like it's, it goes direct to the liver. That's, yeah. It's I mean, a it's, game changer. I mean, if you, if somebody's struggling with health, I don't like blanket statements, but this would be a close one that your phase three drainage, you know, of the, of the liver bile duct is going to be impaired. And the more that you open that up, the better you're going to feel the people that are sensitive, that break out, that get headaches that like, Oh, I can barely handle anything. First of all, make sure you're not in a moldy environment. But the second thing is open up that phase three of the liver bile duct and the drainage. And Oh my gosh, it is like turning, uh, a very special lock and key that you you will just be feeling so much better when you do that. And that's so interesting. I just had a patient come in and she's got that classic apple shaped body and she's struggling on, on many, many levels. And, you know, it, with this conversation, I'll, I'm thinking, well, m- you know, maybe a lot of this inflammation and swelling that we're seeing here is this bile duct being really blocked up and and things not moving out and you know essentially her body's trying to protect itself from the toxicity that's that's in her as the Chinese would say in her middle jow in her middle burner but kind of in the middle of the gut there bingo like think think about this so the the cellulite category the uh jiggly tissue uh, and mince is really big for females like doc i not only want to feel better but really can you help me out with the cellulite like 
you know, the, the cottage cheese skin type thing, the hangy skin, the just kind of flab type stuff. That is, in my uh, personal opinion, that's more of a lymphatic system backup. But understand that the drainage is a funnel. So the base of the funnel is the colon. If you're not pooping, backs everything up. The next layer up from the colon is the liver bile duct. That is what I find most commonly clogged with individuals in the chronic illness side, especially with chronic Lyme disease, is that the liver bile duct is clogged, then therefore what's above that? Lymphatic system. So you can dry brush all you want, infrared sauna all you want, and take lymphatic drainers all you want, but if that liver bile duct's not moving, if you're not pooping, uh, it, it you're, you're trying to you're trying to push a fire hose of water through a little tiny tube, you know, just the fact the body can't clear it out. So make sure you're going number two, make sure you support liver bile duct, and then you won't have all that excess fluid backed up in the lymphatic system, which then can create all kinds of other symptoms. You have a program to teach this, yes? Uh, yeah, I've got a at-home program um, where you can do it yourself, or if you're working with a practitioner, um, it's also a great Great option. Um, that's definitely not for the lighthearted. That is for those that are looking for health restoration and they're ready to put the work in. Um, right now, there's a little over 150 videos. They're short because I understand people uh, in the chronic illness. 150? <laughs> yes. Yep. That's intense, man. Yep. But it's every it's everything from detecting to drainage. You know, drainage is probably 30 videos. Uh, um, you know, there's a drainage protocol as well, parasites. So there's an at-home program uh, for those interested. And then um, part of that program, I actually have a whole, I think it's nine videos at this time on coffee enemas, uh, how to make the solution, how to set it up in your bathroom, um, the whole purpose behind it, what you can do kind of before and after a coffee enema to maximize it. Uh, and I actually just I have a separate little program that's kind of a breakout piece of the at-home. It's called the Ultimate Coffee Enema Program. So if you're thinking like, yeah, that sounds great. I'm just not really sure where to start, then this could be a great, great option for you. Just I feel as if if the individual can get more comfortable with what they're going to do, they're more likely to do it. And honestly, the only thing that matters is imperfect action. Imperfect action. Just move forward. If something doesn't go great, learn from it grow from it that's how we get to where we're at i was just at a lecture this totally related and uh non sequitur at the same time i was at a lecture last night as the ceo of goldman sachs and he's saying the exact same thing he said you just just get started he was addressing a bunch of college students he said just get started nothing's perfect just do the best you can and then own your mistakes and move on yeah because we oftentimes get analysis by paralysis waiting until everything's perfect but we have to understand that we actually have to act to learn and figure things out to then quote unquote perfect it so in order to perfect it if that's really the goal action is needed immediately where you know you're not going to be perfect but that's going to lead to better understanding which is then going to lead to better results and really get you farther where you want to be right the and tink tinkering. I mean, the that's how the Wright brothers beat the U.S. Army into flight is they tinkered, and well, the Army was having meetings and planning. <laughs> get, get out, get out there and do it. So, where can people find this website and learn more about you and everything else that you're doing? Uh, yeah, well, I really want to appreciate uh, you for interviewing me, McKay. Uh, I appreciate anybody that's in the quote unquote Lyme space and Lyme disease world. We need more. Um, <laughs> education yeah, lots and more. 
thought leaders like yourself. So I really appreciate you for having me on your podcast and um, just, you know, blessed that that listeners would take time to learn this stuff as it does change lives. But uh, my website is drjdavidson.com. Uh, doctor is dr and then J is J-A-Y, and then Davidson. So drjdavidson.com, that's the best place to find me. Awesome. You've been very, very generous with your time, and thank you for all you're doing out there. I, I, things changed in the past year to year and a half in the Lyme world, and you're a big part of that. I think there's a lot more hope that's out there, and we're starting to figure out what works. And it's so exciting to see people's lives change. Yes. Yep. I, that's what gets us up in the morning, right? We know we're moving in the right direction. So if you're losing hope, please keep moving forward, imperfect action. And uh, you're going to look back in a year or two and be like, I can't, I, I cannot believe where I was and where I'm at now. It's such a great place. This was such an informative interview. And before I go any further, let me just get this out of the way. Tee-hee-hee, -hee, coffee enemas, ew, gross. Yeah. Moving beyond that, why should we take that, why should we take enemas seriously? I think Dr. Davidson lays out the logic behind it so very well. I was in your shoes or words like that's just one level of treatment. I'm not worth willing to <laughs> think about, talk to my patients about so forth and so on. However, the way he explains it and the, put some science behind it for the first time. So a lot of these remedies, you don't hear the science behind it, but he explains how it literally opens up the flow of bile out of the liver and also increases glutathione in the liver. That's what you're trying to do. And it's, I mean, it's invasive, yes, but it's not taking another supplement necessarily. So it's really, it's a mechanical way of treating. I suppose you are adding stuff in there, but it's really just affecting the liver directly there. It's not something you have to ingest and digest and then go through your entire system and then eventually gets to the liver. It goes right there. So I think it's, if you're stuck and you have all these toxic symptoms, you know, you're very sensitive to smells or every little supplement bothers you. Really, really consider doing a coffee enema. There, I said it. <laughs> if you like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, hit the subscribe button so you won't miss an episode. And if you really like what we're doing, leave us a review on your podcast app. It helps us reach more people like you. And if you really, really like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, share this podcast with a friend. You just might save their life. Do you have any feedback, suggestions for guests, really anything? Send an email to feedback at LimeNinjaRadio.com. And last, as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know, when Google has a question, they ask a ninja. <laughs> Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. 
Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.